Hello and welcome to another installment of Chocolate Chat. I am Chocolate Yoda, spelled Y-O-D-D-A-H, because film studios are litigious. And with me today is my esteemed guest, Brock Bevel. And we're going to talk about uh, wellness and uh, mental health and that kind of stuff. Uh, Brock, uh, I, I am particularly interested in your initiative, uh, Chase the Vase Challenge. And so why don't you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you, and let's get into that topic. Yeah, the Chocolate Yoda, man. I like that, man. Thanks for having me on. You know, when you, oh, my when pleasure. you, inter- when you introduce and we're going to talk about men- mental health, I think a lot of people just like, okay, I'm turning this one off. I'm gonna invite I'm gonna invite your listeners, man. Tune in because this the, we're gonna, we're gonna hit some angles that uh, that might spark some interest in your life. So, hey, man, I'm from Arizona. Uh, super excited to be here. Uh, I do have an initiative called Chase the Vase, and I, I'm I'm just excited to share with you and your listeners anything that I can that I can um, benefit you guys for. I'm in. Yeah, yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about your background and what led you to create this challenge. Well, my background is really, it's diverse, man. I come from a, a pretty cool family. My There's four boys, four girls. My dad was a head football coach here in Arizona, kind of legendary. Uh, I, I, I don't share a lot, but uh, I have an older brother that, that's in the NFL. I have a sister that's in that's in been locked up for for mental illness for for years i i mean there's there's we go through the i think every family has some situations i think sure. mine's no different but uh i was a police officer here in arizona for uh it's almost eight years i was medically yeah. retired uh due to a due to the natures of an injury i was run over right. by a by a lady who was prostituting her her daughter so if you want to get in that, we can. Yeah. That's kind well, of where I, my, I, I yeah. yeah, I recall that incident from uh, Tim's podcast where you described it. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. So, uh, and and so, you know, I, I don't, didn't, when I started this, I didn't know anything about addiction. Mm-hmm. And I, I became an addict, a full-blown addict. And I ran with that for about 10 years. So imagine going from a young man who was raised in a very strong church. Okay, and then becoming a police officer, working narcotics, mm-hmm. believing that you know narcotics are bad, then getting hooked on addiction and um, yeah. on narcotics, and then so it, there's a lot to it, man. There's some depth, some 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 yeah. crevices we should crawl in. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's do that. So then, so just take us through the 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 genesis that gap between. You know, like you said, your your background was leading you in a certain trajectory, and then you took a hard left turn, right, uh, uh, into addiction. And so, what what happened between the time where you took that hard left turn and you wound up at Chase the Vase? Man, so that's a great question. So I, I was in April 11, two thousand and two um i I shared with you i was run over i was run over on Mm -hmm. a traffic stop with the lady who was prostituting her daughter uh sustained major injuries had multiple surgeries to my body and 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 where everything started pivoting was the first day i went to my doctor i walk into my doctor's office i have a conversation with him great guy um worked with the police department 
and said, hey, listen, man, you're a cop. You're never going to get hooked on these things. This, this medication is going to help you. So I started taking opioids, mm. you know, and the opioids, what I noticed is as I took them, my, my loss, cause so, so my retire, my, my injury caused me to retire. Right. Imagine, imagine losing your, your identity. And so that was me. I mean, I was, I felt like I was involved in nitro circus on a daily basis. My mm. life, my working undercover, it was so fast. You're working these crazy cases. You're getting in shootings and you're, you're, you're seeing this craziness you're being very close with your your partners and then the next day they say hey I'm sorry but your injuries you have to retire you have to turn in yeah. your cell phone you don't get to work with con- confidential informants anymore you don't get to buy drugs you don't get to do any <laughs> of that right, right. right. legally yeah, and yeah. you know we're not going to offer you any support either right. cuz once you're done with this place you're done we forget right. about you and I know that sounds terrible, but that's what it was. I mean, yeah, that's the nature of the business. These guys, sure. my team, had to keep playing. They had to keep yeah, going yeah. without me. Right. Yeah. That's that's the one thing that people have the hardest time uh, uh, dealing with. Uh, Louis C.K. one time uh, said that, you know, a friend of him, a friend of his, said to him, you know, what do you think happens when you die? And he said, everything, just not with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know yes and and you know when you break that time when you break that down to the microcosm it's the same thing so if you were to ask well what happens to the police force after i retire well everything just without you right you know life goes on always um but that is a that is obviously a very very major and radical change um and and i think you you hit the nail on the head it wasn't just a change in your life in terms of routine and schedule, it was a change in your identity. Because like like a lot of men, we're very connected to what we do for a living. And especially in law enforcement, because I, I happen to have a lot of friends who are police officers. A police officer saved my life when I was six years old. So I have a, a very, very warm regard for police officers. You know, as I like to say, when people hear gunfire, they're, you know, you're running away and the police are running toward it. So that's a special kind of person. All right. Um, so you had this radical change and now you show up at the doctor and he says, hey, take these opioids. And so now you're on a whole new adventure. Yeah. And you, and so along with the depression, the sadness, the sorrow, missing the team, I noticed that the more opioids I took, the better I felt. Sure. But one of my problems was, is I was still chasing that high. I was Mm. still trying to capture that chaos that I had in the police department. So that's where I started making some big mistakes in my life. More opiate use caused to, uh, led to infidelity in my relationship and caused divorce, riff in the family, Mm. divorce, and divorce now more opioid use right and so it just it just compounded until and so you asked about the pivot point you asked about when when everything kind of changed it was it was uh my rock bottom and i don't it wasn't my only rock bottom i think we have a lot of them and god just says this is this is it you know this this is your rock bottom and i woke up and i went in my medicine cabinet and noticed you know took a pill 
popped it, drank some water, ready for the day. And when I shut the cabinet, it was the first time that it glimpsed into my bedroom. And when I glimpsed into my bedroom, that reflection of who I had become, I'm like, Brock, you're, you're, you live in a crack house, man. Mm. And I had done search warrants in crack houses. I've been in crack houses. I bought drugs in crack houses. And I knew it wasn't a positive thing. So I'm like, bro, you need to change. And so that was when I kind of ripped open the cabinet, grabbed all my pills and dumped them. Now, interesting. biggest mistake of my life. <laughs> but best decision I ever made yeah, because yeah. that's not how you should detox. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you got to go about it the right way. And, but for me, it's what I needed. Yeah. Well, also you're, you're lucky that it wasn't alcohol. Cause I believe alcohol is the only drug that a cold Turkey withdrawal can kill you. Alcohol and opioids are the two yeah. that will kill you cold Turkey. Okay. That can't, that can't kill you. Yeah. Yeah. And so th- that I went through it, man. I went through seven days in the bathroom Worst time of my life. Um, I mean, I don't. I don't need to get into it for your show. I'm sure everybody can understand that's yeah. I crapped on myself and defecated and peed myself, Dang. and I mean the whole nine yards. Just because I mean, and that was a big fear of mine throughout. That's why I didn't want to detox. That's why I didn't want to withdraw. because I was yeah. scared. I had seen people go through the process when I was a cop, and I'm like, oh man, no, yeah. I don't. I don't ever want yeah. that. It's so, really an ugly process and very, very painful. Yeah. So that was my pivot point. Once I walked out of that bathroom, I had a conversation with God. And that was my time where I'm like, you know what? Uh, if you're going to let me out of this bathroom, you're going to take that 10 years of experience. I'm going to go use it for good. And so I walked out of that bathroom. And at that point in time, after a couple of years, I created a inpatient program called Chase the Vase, the blue vase. And and I started it and with the goal, I was a, it was selfish, really, be honest with you. I started it because I wanted to have another team. I wanted yeah. to have a group of guys where I could go do epic stuff with. Interesting. You know, we, we talk about connection, right? The opposite of addiction's connection. Like when we use, we withdraw from everybody else. We disconnect from the world that's why i used but when now i have to do the opposite and when i stop using i have to connect and so i needed to connect with dudes that could make me do crazy stuff again to where my mind would be occupied very interesting and you know a quick side note about that and people can look this up um during the vietnam war uh there was a major concern about people coming home drug addicted because there was outrageous drug use. Heroin, yeah. Yeah. However, what what they found was, and, and this directly correlates with your experience, is that the people that were coming back to a, a, a village, essentially, who were connected, uh, fared much better. Almost all of them got off the drugs. The people that came back and didn't have that support system, those were the ones that wound up uh, being addicted so that so you know uh, and a lot of clinicians have studied this and 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 it, it's it's a very consistent phenomenon that when you're a loner essentially because humans are incredibly social animals when you're a loner it's a problem and when you're connected you just fare better and that that's what i did man i i put myself in a, into a position that i could so i ran a recovery program that was 
that was recreational based, that was recre- recreational therapy. So part of the time we were out camping, we were doing guy stuff. Right. Right. And so that was what was keeping me sober. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. So how did the name come about? That, that, I'm really curious about that. Well, well, I mean, you can go to my website, but basically what it is, it came from a World War One veteran. His name was William Peck. He came home from war. He was injured. His arm was be, uh, beat up. His leg was shot off and, and he wanted a job. So he, he applied for a job for a company. Um, the boss hired him. They put him in the in the lowest position, selling skunk wood, right? Just just a naughty wood, and he became the top salesman, mm. just because of his drive. And so his boss saw this potential in him. So his boss put him on a quest, a test, and it was called the the test of the blue vase. And if you look, you can find New Skin actually did a movie on it called. Uh, the go-getter, and basically what he was challenged with was to go find this specific vase that belonged in a, a group of the other vases that his boss was going to deliver to their friends. But these two guys that worked with him tried to thwart him, tried to um, make him fail, but he continuously had resolve and was just chasing the next right thing. And, and basically the blue vase, he ended up getting the vase, but the blue vase for me represents what am I chasing? What's that next thing I'm chasing? See, in sobriety, it was the drug. Now, if you could take that same energy that a drug addict has and have him chase something positive, man, that dude is resilient. Right. And, and so for, for a time, sobriety was what I was chasing. Now, maybe it's to stop looking at pornography. Maybe it's to find that marriage that you want, that wholesome marriage. Maybe it's to have kids. What are you chasing? Because if you're not chasing something, you're being chased by something. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. And, you know, um, this all goes back to our DNA and our wiring. You know, I I base most of my coaching on uh, just the reality of what we are as a species, and if you go back far enough, it's all there. I mean, our, our brains are pretty simple. You know, we're, we're wired to uh, find food to eat, uh, make children, and avoid being eaten by other stuff. <laughs> right? That's it. That's, that's what our literal design is all about. And, of course, as you go through modernity, some of those basic needs are met. And so now... The question is, well, what do you do with all this instinctive wiring that you have? And so I, I fully agree and understand the idea of, of making uh, your system of recovery and wellness revolve around uh, positive activities that, that, that people can embrace and put their energy into. Because, you know, we, we don't have to look for food anymore. We, we don't have all these challenges that we used to have. And I think that that the fact that so many people are so easily satisfied with the basics of life is part of the depression issue that human beings are have been experiencing, especially in America. It's 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 an enormous epidemic, you know, and, and you know, like the, the number one drug sold is an antidepressant, you know, 
and and I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think it stems from the fact that we are not doing what we're built to do. Mm. Well, that's interesting that you bring that up because in addiction recovery, there's four areas that have to be taken care of. And if and if one of these four pillars fall, you're going to relapse or you're, you're more apt to need that antidepressant to seek after those things. You ready? Here's what they are. Your home life. Your home life needs to be in check. It needs to be a place of refuge. You look at most drug addicts, where are they living? They're not home. It's not safe. They don't, I mean, they don't have the, the basic needs uh, or, or they're living in a crack house. There's 50 people there. It's, I mean, it's just, so home, then your health. And we're talking mental, physical, spiritual health. Those three areas, they have to be right, man. Like you have to be, you have to be checking yourself out. Now, the next two I think are the most important, and you hit it, your purpose. We're wired for this. For me, man, I needed to find what my purpose was. Yours is coaching. Yours is helping other men find that next thing, right? And so your purpose, and then the last one is that community. Those are the four areas that if we could take take people and say, hey, man, let's do a self-check. Let's evaluate these four areas of your life. There's something in there that's off. There's something in there that 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 you're struggling with that guess what you can fix. Let's make some minor tweaks and adjustments and let's evolve. But people are so scared to to find that purpose, man, cuz they're okay with working a 9 to 5 job. They're okay mm-hmm. coming home. They're okay taking a couple swings of alcohol and going to sleep and repeating that for the rest of their life. Yeah. Right. Well, the problem is, is that they think they're okay with that. And, and I've, and I've covered this extensively. Um, every one of my friends is probably tired of me talking about this, but, um, you hit on something that I think is so critically important. And it's the, the prescription for life that most people are given, right? You, you know, you go to school, you find a good job, you get married, you have children, you buy a house. And, you know, you retire somewhere and maybe you get a, a couple vacations every year or whatever, right? And my question is this, and I think it's a simple, straightforward question. And it's, frankly, it's pretty obvious. If that prescription was the accurate prescription for how to live life, well, why is it that so many people that are doing it is so friggin' miserable, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? And, and so what you're talking about, and, you know, even in psychology, when you talk about the six human needs and all that stuff, everything that you just described is encompassed in that, you know, contribution, community, all the, you know, significance, all these things are what human beings need to thrive. And so if you do settle into that kind of routine that you're talking about, it's, it's completely antithetical to how human beings really need to live. But because people are told like, hey, this is the thing that's going to make you happy. And then that's the vase that people chase, right? They, they get, they run off the road because they, they get it. They, they get all the things that they're supposed to have and they go, well, I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. Is this it? I, I did everything. I followed the rules. <laughs> you know, yeah. why aren't I happy? No, you, I, I love that you say that. And you know what? Oh, it's interesting. My, my father's an, uh, the most genuine loving man I've ever met. And uh, he coached and was in high school for years and years. I, I believe over 40 years. And one day I asked him, I said, Dad, do you feel like you lived your passion? And his response was, I helped a lot of men along the way. 
But but I read between the lines. I said, Dad, did you did you do you really feel like you did? I mean, we're, come on, we're talking forty years of getting up early in the morning and coming home late. Like this was his routine, and I really don't think that he lived to the maximum. Like that he, I know he wanted to coach college football. Never yeah. had an opportunity to do it. now. Now that doesn't take away from his his legacy and what he's done for the family. I get all that, but I'm like, man, I don't want to be that guy looking back saying, I could have done more. I wish I'd have done more. Right, right. And you know, one of the things that's an easy trap for people to fall into is judging your insides by other people's outsides and vice mm-hmm. versa. Right. So. A lot of times people will get positive feedback, like your father obviously got a lot of positive feedback from the world about what he was doing and who he was. And of course, that's a wonderful thing. However, as you indicate, if it's not totally in alignment with his deepest desires, then it's going to fall flat. You know, he's going to he's going to like it. It's going to be nice. And this is true for everybody. Oh, you're a wonderful person. You're a nice guy. You know, it's that tears of a clown thing. Where it's like, yeah, the world thinks you're wonderful, but you know, when you look in the mirror, just like when you looked in the mirror and saw the crack house behind you, right? When you look in the mirror and you realize, man, I didn't do what I wanted to do. You know, like, listen, here's the thing. My life did not turn out at all the way I thought it would, right? Like my goals and aspirations were very, very... 101 level. It was what the world told me I was supposed to want. It was what my mother told me was what I was supposed to want. And I don't hold anybody accountable for that. It it just is what it is. Ultimately, it came down to me. And and I bought into all that stuff for a while. But then one day I woke up and I went, holy shit, I'm not happy with any of this. Mm. You know, and that's when I became very serious about coaching. and, and, And you hit it right on the head. My identity comes from the idea of helping other people. That's what I am so passionate about. That's what all of this podcasting is about. I just want someone to listen to something one time and go, oh, wow, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that and have a positive result. You know, that that's success to me. You know, that's why I'm so happy now. Honestly, at 57, I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. And I've had a great life. All right. It had all the, the tragedy that other people's lives have and all that stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm not immune to anything, but I've had a phenomenal life. And, and really the last 10, 12 years have been the best because I'm fully aligned with who I am, you know, and now it's like, yeah, hey, you can, you can praise me. You can tell me I'm funny and good and smart and all that stuff. And that's great. I love hearing that. But when I look in the mirror now, I know that I'm doing what I need to be doing. Ooh. Now that mirror checks that that's a big thing, isn't it? Oh, that's a big. It's thing. everything. It's everything, and really, it's the only thing. It because we because we can we can fake everybody else. Yeah. But I'm telling you, you cannot fake you. Yeah, yeah, and I was masterful at that. I I I was really good at making people think what I wanted them to think, <laughs> and then and then eventually I was like, oh well, what's the value in that? If everybody thinks I'm wonderful, and, I, and I'm not saying I wasn't wonderful. I was a good guy, you know, for most of my life. The early part, not so much. But, you know, then I got better. Uh, starting in 1987, uh, when I got clean and I decided to dedicate myself to to personal development, that's when my life started getting much better. Um, 
but really it all came down to what I thought about myself. You know, like I tell people, you know, in, in the quiet times when you're alone with your own thoughts, that's what's real. That, that chatter that's in your head about what you are, what you aren't, that's the real you. And, and that's what we need to address. Hmm. So, so those voices, man, what the, we always talk about good in, good out, bad mm. in, bad out. So what I'm putting in my brain, what I'm, what I'm allowing myself to hear, that's, what's going to come out. And so yeah. if I'm putting bad in, bad's coming out. We're seeing that yeah. in the world today. Yeah. Like there's brother, there is so much. My, my wife comes home today, local high school. My daughter goes to high school here. Gang violence erupts. Seven kids get in a fight, or so there were seven fights. Three were stabbed. One pulls a gun. Oof. I mean, I mean, it's it's right down the street. My daughter goes to school there, and yeah. I'm like, man, it, it's it's an ab- epidemic, and and it's not being taught in the homes anymore. So if it's not being taught in the homes now, what? That's what. Yeah. That's where we're getting scary. Yeah, and and you know I'm. I'm such a big believer in, in computer parlance, it's called Geigo, garbage in, garbage out, right? So um, I'm totally in alignment with that. And like for me, I don't consume news anymore um, because I, I remember Prince said something. Uh, I think someone asked him about like the films he watched or whatever. And he said that he avoided like horror films and anything negative and violence and that kind of thing. And they asked him why. And he said, what you take into your eyes, you take into your heart, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh man, that's deep, you know? And years later, I realized that I was upset all the time. There was this low level anger that I had going on all the time. You know, it's like the Hulk that's, he said, you know, I'm, I'm always angry. That's how I get ready. I'm always angry. And I was like that. And I realized that one of the major contributors to that was that I was always consuming news. I was, and, and the news is about what's horrible in the world, you know, because good stuff doesn't get your attention. And the fact is, is that if, if you think about 8 billion people on the planet and the fact that we're not slaughtering each other in the streets all the time means that there's mostly good stuff happening in the world. You know, people are going about their business, taking care of their family, hanging out with their friends, enjoying each other's company, doing loving things, rescuing kittens, helping old ladies across the street. This is what's happening most of the time, but that doesn't compel people to to, to tune into uh, a news channel or open up a newspaper. So in, uh, in, on those platforms, it's just all the worst stuff that's happening. Stuff that has nothing to do with you, stuff that you you can't do anything about, and yet you're just consuming that constantly. So it has to have an effect. And I know it does for me because once I cut all that out, like literally the only time I know that anything happens is if I see it on Facebook or or someone tells me about it. Otherwise, I don't know what's going on and I don't care. I can't do anything about any of that stuff. So why would I burden myself with that? This one got stabbed. That one got shot. That 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 arsonist, that rapist, all that. I can't do anything about that. It's it's horrible that these things are happening, but. Why would I take that into my heart when it doesn't need to be there? And I, and again, I think that's a major contributor to my happiness these days. 
Man, I like that. I'm, I'm going to use that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to become a believer of Prince because that's that's there's some truth <laughs> to that. You know me? For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. I, I, and I think, you know, getting back to what you're doing, and I and if you if you'd like to, I'd like to hear some of the details about you know what your strategy is within the challenge, uh, but you know I, I'm just I'm a big believer in aligning yourself with as much positivity as possible, and for men especially, um, you know the world is a tough place. Like I I I was telling my lady recently that you know one of the differences between men and women is is that when two men are talking there's an understanding that a wrong word can receive a punch in the face right and women generally don't not that women don't get into fights but women generally don't operate under those auspices right and that's just a tiny indication of what it's like to be a man there's a lot of pressures on men that people just don't realize and ironically men are both held responsible for everything evil and dismissed at the same time. Like I like to point out that Father's Day didn't come into um, existence until 54 years after Mother's Day did. All right. It's complete afterthought. And and when you look at uh, sitcoms, and I don't watch too many of them because they're mostly terrible, but when you look at sitcoms, the father's always a buffoon. Always. Right? And that, so that's how men are portrayed in society. So this, it's this weird dichotomy. We're idiots that are ruining the world. <laughs> right. And so being a man is a complicated thing. And, and so I, I, I like the, the way that you've structured the, the, the challenge, uh, is to really, uh, redefine manhood. And I'd love for you to get into that a little bit. Well, I'm thankful that there's somebody else in the world that feels the same thing. Like, like, honestly, because it, it is tough being a man and but we have some big responsibilities. And I and I and I I believe we've kind of forgot a little bit about that. And we need to be reminded, you know, the best time of my life, the best I wouldn't say the best time, but where I felt like I was I was growing the most is when I was a police officer and when I worked undercover and I'm. I, I'm, t- I'm telling you this so I can kind of give you the premise of yeah, where absolutely. we went with. So when I worked undercover, we we did a lot of deep investigations on areas, homes, streets, and people. So that was kind of the goal is we wanted to shut down big operations. And so I'm like, you know what? I was really good as a cop on doing investigations. Now, why can't I turn take that information and do it on myself? Now, one of the biggest fears us men have is critiquing who we are. We, we have to put up a facade that we are better than we expect. Mm. And it leads to some, it leads to some, some hurt, you know, and shame a little bit. So what I've done is I've taken some information from the police department and I've morphed it into a program called Chase the Vase. And I use a, an acronym called the SARA model. S-A-R-A. And what that is, is, is the SARA model is for community policing. And what we would do is we, had, we would do a broad overview on an area and say, okay, we're going to scan the area. So SARA stands for scan, analyze, respond, and assess. Okay. Mm. 
And a lot of people see the response of a police team. Like you see when the SWAT team's driving down the road and half the guys are hanging off and they got the big guns. That is they're responding to a situation. What people don't understand is the time it took to get them to that moment to do an entry, to bust down a door. There's a lot of work. And right. so where I went is I wanted to take you. So let's say I'm working with you, Yoda, right? And I'm going to say we're going to scan who you are. We are going to build and create a search warrant around you. When you do a search warrant on a home, there's a couple variables that I have to do. I got to know what's the strength of that home. Mm. What are you good at? When I look at you, what are your positive attributes? But if I know your strengths, I also have to know what your weaknesses are. And for us men, we don't want to talk about the weaknesses because here's the deal. I don't care what your strengths are because they're always going to be your strengths. What are your weaknesses? How do we strengthen those weaknesses? Most of us, we most men, especially in addiction, one of our biggest weak weakness is self-regulation. I have a hard time regulating who I am as an as a man, right? It's either I overindulge or I don't indulge. Mm. I look at pornography and I look at pornography too much and to the point it's destroying my marriage. I drink and I drink so much that I can't control my habits any longer. It's destroying my job. And so what I do is I take that scan and I, and, I, and I bring it down into you and say, let's work together, Yoda. Let's figure out why you're Yoda. Let's figure right. out why you have the force. Like, honestly, that's what we do. And then we take those and we analyze them. Where did that, where did it come from? Where did you become strong? How did you become weak in this area? Where are you at spiritually? How are you as a father? How are you as a husband? right? How are you? How are you as a coach? And these things like people are like, well, I'm really good at work, but I'm a crappy father. Well, that's what we're going to work on. And and what we see is we see this, this imbalance in who we are as individuals, our facade, we are protecting our facade where the people that really know us see us as a totally different person. And so that's what we do is we take that model and we build it. So scan, analyze, respond, assess. And I use it and I break it down. And then we create a tactical plan on how to respond to those those weaknesses and strengths. And then we assess it later on. We say, okay, how are we doing on all these areas? And so Brock, that's what that, we that's do. That's yeah. absolutely brilliant. That's honestly, that's so brilliant. Because again, it, 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 it all ties into what I said earlier I said that my coaching is based on what we really are, right? And that's exactly what you're describing. You, you're you looking at the person holistically and saying, okay, you know, it's it's like the, the lyric from the Billy Joel song, you've given me the best of you and now I need the rest of you, mm-hmm. right? So you, you, you say, okay, let's start with your strengths. Those are great, good to know. Let's maintain those, let's build on those, all right? But if we're gonna have balance, Right. If we're going to get to the truth, then we need to look at everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. Right. And and, you know, Anthony Robbins talks about this all the time. He says he, he has billionaire clients that he coaches and people go, well, why do you need to coach a billionaire? It's like, all right, well, if you're a billionaire, it means that you're good at making money, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're good at anything else. 
So you could be a billionaire with a drug problem or a billionaire that can't keep a relationship or a billionaire whose children don't talk to him or a billionaire who's depressed. You know what I mean? So like what the, your approach is to me, the only approach that makes sense. And what I like about your approach is that more likely than not, you're going to see immediate results. And I want to put the word immediate in, in the proper context. I don't mean like necessarily a second from now or a week from now, but in comparison to uh, therapy, and which I don't want to vilify. I think ver therapy is extraordinarily useful for everyone. However, not everybody responds to therapy the same way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes therapy can be very, very drawn out. And what I say in my coaching is, you know, the, we, we could peel the layers of the onion or we can cut right through the center. And my approach is cutting right through the center. Let's go. Let's and, be up. And yeah, and, and your approach is the same way. You're, you're, what you're saying is, all right, let's strip away the artifice, the facade. You know, the, let's, let's get rid of the pay no attention to that man behind the curtain, right? Because that's what guys are real good at. We're really good at maintaining a facade. You know, I, 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 I wrote this, uh, this post the other day, uh, it's like, you know, when women say I, I faked an orgasm and I would say, I don't care. I faked the whole relationship, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and, and guys are like that guys can fake a whole life, you know, and, and unfortunately it's an empty existence. And so your approach of, of getting in and getting right to the heart of the matter this is this is what I assumed when I when I looked at your website and I and I saw what you were talking about. I was like, yeah, I think I think this guy's on to something. Uh, so yeah, I, I absolutely love that approach. Um, so, what what other thoughts do you have regarding that? Well, my my thought is this: it's it's really simple. It it it's usually pretty simple to figure that out, to cut through the onion and to figure out because these are these flaws. These character weaknesses or defects or whatever you want to call them have have been with us a long time. We've been dragging this crap around for a long time. Now, the problem that I'm sure that you and I both have in this coaching is are you willing to do the hard things? Yeah. Are you willing to so so I did a I did a fun little activity with my guys when I when I had it. I put I put in there a bunch of I put in their backpacks. We went on a long hike, and I put a bunch of rocks in their backpack. Mm. And I said, "Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna carry these damn rocks until you are ready to give these these stories up. Because us men, we have these war stories. We mm. have this trauma that we believe that we have to carry forever. Yeah. It's mine. I'm not giving it to you. I'm not telling you about it. When you were molested when you were a little kid, I'm not talking about it. Okay? When I was beat by my father when I was a little kid. I mean, all the every man has something. Yes. But you use it as a, a as a red badge of courage. You're using it so you can always draw back on it in your own brain. Well, I've been I I've had this incident in my life. Now, are you willing to give those things up? So, when you're ready, we would have them take a rock, and these are big rocks, and we have them write the story on it, mm. and then we have them dump them. Now, here's the deal. If you dump that damn story, you can't pick it back up. You right. can't now come back and say, oh, I'm going to use that again. As no, nah, you've dumped it. You've given it away. Mm. And so that, I feel, is one of the big problems in, in our world is, hey, 
we got to get past our past. Yeah. These things don't define us any longer. When I was eight years old, man, I'm, I'm 49 today. Are you telling me I still got to carry that? Right. And so, but we got to have the ability, that opportunity to give that stuff away. Yeah, and so, 100%. Yeah. And so I don't know if you're, if you're running into the same problem with, oh, with yeah, men course. like giving it all up. But man, yeah. if I could give one bit of information or one bit of advice, I'd say those things that you're willing to take to the grave, those things that you don't want to talk about, you better talk about. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, uh, Pink Floyd's brilliant album, The Wall, is uh, it's all about mental health, actually. And um, in in one song, uh, the last line of the song, which was about how his experiences caused him to build a wall around him, and the last line of the song is, Mother, did it have to be so high? Right? Because here's the thing about building a wall, which is the stories, the narrative, the red badge of courage, which is perfectly stated, is that, yes, the wall is for protection. It's to keep people from getting in. But the problem is, is that the wall prevents you from getting out, right? And, of course, the stories that we tell ourselves are the stories that we're going to believe faster than any other story because the stories that come to us in our voice. And we believe our voice over any other voice, right? And what you brilliantly discussed about childhood trauma is particularly interesting to me because they call our childhood our formative years. And what we're forming uh, are beliefs. The, we, we're forming all the beliefs that we have about life. I'm smart, I'm stupid, I'm this, I'm that, I'm, you know, I can trust women, I can't, whatever it is, right? And I remember uh, 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 asking a lot of my coaching clients, like, you said you're 49, right? And so you, uh, you probably had some experiences when you were 7, 8, 9, 10. You made some distinctions. You made some decisions about what those experiences meant. And now at 49, let's say you had an issue in your relationship, right? Would you turn to a 10-year-old and ask him advice about your relationship? Of course you wouldn't. <laughs> Nobody would, no. right? But if you're still operating in life on the decisions that that 10-year-old made, it's the same as consulting that 10-year-old for, for a major decision in your life. And so we, we've got to break out of that. Like that, that metaphor of, of throwing the rocks away is, is perfect because really that's, that's what it takes. And that is the hardest part because nature abhors a vacuum, right? Nature does not allow for vacuums. And it's not enough to just get rid of something. You've got to replace it with something else. And that's the biggest challenge that people have. It's like you can identify what the weakness is. You can agree that it's a weakness. You can agree that you have to get rid of it. But then it's like, well, but then what? What do I do? And that's why I think your challenge is so valuable because that answers that question of what do I do now? Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, we need coaches. Yeah, 
we we need people, you know, and that that's what I found is I, I'm sure if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in trouble. <laughs> so, you know, we podcast for a reason. We podcast because yeah. we find people that bring value into our own lives, right? I I know when I when I was looking at you when you called to say, hey, will you be on my podcast? Well. I'm not just going to say, yeah, if I don't get to research you a little bit first. I need to mm-hmm. see that your value, that we match each other, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I, th- I think that's kind of where, as men, we, we, we have to be willing to find people who are smarter than us that we can evolve. You know, you, they always talk about, I think even Tony Robbins said this about, you, you look at the five people you hang around, those who you're going to become. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and unfortunately, I think sometimes we we create boundaries of strength that we're we're the most powerful powerful person, and nobody around us can 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 hurt us. Yeah. And so, I think that's a big problem that we have as men is we fear that elevation because if I have to talk to you about my story, if I have to share, then you have power over me. Yeah. And what's interesting is I had I had a man we do a in our program we did a, a thing called the trauma egg. And it's just like you're talking about, it takes you through young age, this formative year, and as you as you build uh, experiences. Well, he told me an experience that he had when he was young. And he had talked about he had actually shot and killed uh, a family member. But he left the major part out to everybody else. Okay. And what was interesting is the next morning when we came back to finish the trauma egg, he was out in the parking lot waiting on me. And he was in tears. And he just gives me the biggest hug. And he goes, you know, I need to tell you something. I've never told anybody else. I know you're going to hate my guts. I know you're going to think I'm, I'm the worst person in the world. And he gives me a hug and he tells me, and he gives me this little glimpse of what happened in the story that he had, he had consumed some alcohol before this happened, but he, he, he attached the, the alcohol to the death mm. that the reason this person died was because of alcohol. No, the pe- reason the person died was there was an accident. Right. Right. But, but had we never opened up this opportunity to communicate, he'd be carrying that to the grave. Right. And so that's why I think it's so important for men to hear these podcasts and hear, yeah. reach out, get these opportunities for these developmental times, these, this, this growth. And so I yeah. hope that kind of makes sense. Oh, but 100%. And yeah, you know, that in, in the way that men are raised, that whole never let them see you sweat, never back down, never surrender. The hardest thing to do is then to be vulnerable, to share something that could be used against you, right? Like, and and I will add another wrinkle to this idea. Um, I've had women say to me, oh, men are not emotional and men don't share. I said, yes, we do, just not with you, mm. right? Because every man has several stories of opening up to a woman and then that woman using that against them to hurt them. Right. And so they just make the logical conclusion. Well, I'm just not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to open up to you, but they do tend to open up to other men 
usually, or at least one guy, the, the consigliere, the closest guy to them, you know? And I, one of the reasons why my best friend is my best friend is that I know where his bodies are buried and he knows where my bodies are buried. Amen, right? brother. And w- for men, I find this to be something absolutely critical and really, I don't see a way around this to get to the kind of uh, place where we're happy and content and fulfilled in life. If if you don't unburden the these things that you're going to take to the grave, there's no chance you're going to get better. There's no chance because it really is an albatross around your neck. It's an anchor around your uh, uh, your ankle. Uh, it's it's just a- every metaphor that you could think of for being bogged down. Uh, you know, you're, you're, so your, your approach, I think, is the most common sense approach to these issues is to, is to just drill down, get real, extract the poison, you know, replace it with positive things and then move forward into the world. And for the men who are willing to take that challenge, whether formally or informally, whether it's through therapy or it's through coaching or it's through a best friend or it's through religion, meditation, I don't care what it is, but it's got to be done. It's got to be done, you know, and this is one of those things where it's hard to get someone to understand something that they've never experienced. It's like I try to tell, I try to ask people like, how would you describe sugar to someone who hasn't tasted it? Right. And so how do I take this feeling that I have in my body every day of fulfillment, of contentment, of happiness, of joy, of connection? Like you talk about the five people surrounding me. My friends are beautiful. My friends are amazing human beings who, I mean, I'm getting choked up just thinking about it right now. These people love me beyond measure. And and I know I'm a good person just because of how wonderful they are. Once you live life in this mode, it changes everything. It, it, it just, it, you, you are operating in a way that you just can never imagine and and once you get there you you will have wished that you had started 10 years or 20 years earlier but you know you can't saw the sawdust it is what it is but now now that you know now that you have the opportunity to understand that there is another side to this that there is another way to be that there are solutions to your issues that there is a way to unburden yourself and and move into life in a different way well, you can't pretend you don't know anymore, you know, so so we're ruining people's stories. <laughs> yep. Kill them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, do me a favor and everyone a favor. Give us your website. Give us your social media. Let people know how we can contact you. Yeah, it's called uh, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Brock Bevel, B-E-V-E-L-L. It's also Chase the Vase. ChaseTheVase.com. I have a ChaseTheVaseChallenge.com and a StriplingWarriorChallenge.com. And and the the Stripling Warrior Challenge is a five-day challenge where I just help men just start thinking about overcoming pornography. And in my opinion, Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the biggest handholds that... uh, Oh man, that that feel of of uselessness, of of unworthiness comes from pornography, and, yeah. and just from the, what what men have expressed to me. So that's yeah. 
I started that because men said, dude, I need help getting off pornography. I was on pornography from 8 to 42. So in my life, it mattered. And so that's what we're doing. So please, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, feel free. Even if you have questions, let me know. I'd love to help out. Fantastic. And I'll make sure that all of those links are uh, in the description so people can just click and reach you. Um, I, I have to say this uh, has been a, a very productive conversation. I enjoyed it immensely. I, I believe wholeheartedly in what you're doing. And I, I will state publicly that there's if there's any way that I can contribute to what you're doing, I am absolutely willing to do so. I, I don't do this stuff for money. Um, if I make, never make a dime coaching, I'll be all right with that. If I never, never make a dime on podcasting, I'll be all right with that. Uh, but I do want to help people wherever I can. So I'm, I'm available if you want me. Um, and uh, in, in the meantime, um, you know, everybody check out Brock's website and, uh, and his social media. And, you know, for everybody else, uh, well, I'll give you a final thought and, uh, and then we'll close out. You know, there's hope out there. It, it, I guess that's what I would like to let everybody know. There's hope. You can do it. You know, I, I know that's so trivial, but we we feel so overwhelmed sometimes. And there's good people around you that are willing to walk the path with you. And so I guess that's what I'd say. Yeah, no, that's that's brilliant. And um you know, sometimes the, the, the most profound truths are uh, expressed very simply. And uh, what you said uh, all throughout the podcast uh, were just profound truths. And, and I believe wholeheartedly what you're doing. Thank you so much for joining me. And to everybody else, peace, love, and granola. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.